I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, here we go. It's episode 192 for July 28th, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about easy, durable finishes. Is automation distancing us from our craft and how to perform the ritual bloodletting with your chisels? Well, that sounds scary. Really scary. <laughs> That does sound scary. What is this October when we're releasing this? It yes. sounds like the Halloween Halloween show. episode, right? Well, before we get to that good stuff, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. When you spend weeks crafting the perfect box or cabinet, why would you use anything but the highest quality hardware? Russo has been making high-precision hardware here in the United States for over 20 years. The entire line is available in brass and stainless steel at Brusso.com. While you're there, be sure to check out the new line of knife hinge installation templates. As a special offer to Wood Talk listeners, use the code WOODTALK at checkout for 10% off. All right, so there you go, folks. 10% off again with uh, Brusso Hardware. And it's, uh, I can't say enough good things about their quality hardware. I actually just used some of their hinges on the uh, Gary Rogowski box that I built on the site. And oh, just yeah. little baby uh, little baby standard butt hinges, right? And uh, you know how you always want to use a steel screw, if you can, uh, to start cutting the threads before you put in your brass screw, just to kind of yep. save on uh, stripping out your screw heads. I wish um, you would have said something about that earlier. <laughs> oh, by the way, there, so here's time. a tip for you, Matt. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it, they actually ship it with the properly sized steel screw that you can use to sort of pre-do each one of the holes ahead of time. That's, That's awesome. a classy move. Right? Classy move, I know. Bruso. Something so simple, but from uh, from Bruso, you got to expect that kind of quality. So anyway. So my question <clears throat> is, I was just digging out, like unpacking stuff in, in my shop, and I found the knife hinges that Bruso sent us. Uh-huh. So I was thinking, well, I've got to do something with this. So is it is it wrong to use like really, really high quality hinges on like a pine shop cabinet? <laughs> um, yes and no. <laughs> Depend, I guess it depends on who you ask. <laughs> How about if I put really fancy doors over the pine cabinet and then use knife in? Oh, there you go. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. There needs to be at least 50% of it being a very good reason. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right. Uh, and before we get into the, the actual content of the show, I do want to thank some of our donors here. We've got Jason N., Adam D., Jeffrey H., and James R. Thank you so much, guys, for helping to support the show. And you can, too, if you go to woodtalkshow.com. Look in that left-hand column, and you'll see a few links to do a one-time donation or recurring donations in small amounts. Uh, and every little bit helps and kind of keeps the lights on here for us. So, gentlemen... Let's jump into what's on the bench. For me, it's a little bit boring. Don't have a whole lot of shop time lately, just kind of in between projects and prepping for our TWW live session coming up this Friday. It's uh, the first Friday of every month, and uh, Nicole will be with me there. We'll be announcing giveaways, talking about lots of cool stuff, talking about uh, that story that I posted on Facebook about the HOA restricting this poor uh, vet who's been building projects for for other um, active military families. He's building stuff for them, and the HOA is shutting his shop down. (laughs) So, um, yeah. I'll be, uh, yeah, I'll be complaining about that on Friday. 
Nice. Uh, and that's really about it. Just a lot of prep work for this live show. It's getting more and more involved every time we do it. Uh, so will takes... you be doing the live show from the comfy confines of your Morris chair? I should, although it's, you should it... like set it on the bench, like a throne. Yeah. be like six feet in the air. Well, you that. should have Mateo in that and then you can sit on the stool since, yeah. you know, you seem to know your rightful place in the household. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that boy does. He takes any seat that's mine. He's on it. Boom. And I'm, I'm on the uh, floor or on a footrest. So, uh, but that's really about it for me. What about you, Shannon? Um, I officially, I'm officially calling my shop remodel done Yay! as of yesterday. Yeah. Believe Congratulations. Me, I'm, I'm pretty psyched. <clears throat> it's in that spot, Mark, you can relate to this where I know there's a few other things that I should do. Like mm-hmm. put in my case, put cabinet doors over a cabinet um, mm-hmm. unpack a few things here and there move some stuff in but i am just so ready to to build something that's not like you know shop related hanging or... walls and putting <laughs> cat molding on and totally stuff like that and and i've got this 11 quarter wide walnut 12 and 15 inch wide 11 quarter walnut it's just gorgeous stuff actually irony is it's not that gorgeous it's number two or number three common to a woodworker, it's gorgeous. To sure. most people, it's like, look at all the knots and crap in that. That's trash wood. <laughs> it's really, really nice stuff. So I'm uh, looking forward to putting the new planer to to the test, the spiral cutter head idea. Sure. Across all those knots and all that crazy crotch grain and curly grain and stuff like that. So my my old straight knife planer would have probably destroyed it. <laughs> Had a field day with those knots. Yeah, that and it wouldn't have been able didn't have the capacity for the stuff that I'm putting through it. So right. it should be a really good test. Cool. Only thing I've run through the planer so far now is like perfectly straight grain cherry, which is just no test yeah, on any not, not much of a challenge. So is <laughs> no, this not, uh, not so much. Is this walnut so, for the picnic table? Yes. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah. We're not calling it a picnic table anymore. Oh, you should though. <laughs> no, we're we're calling it a Tuscan table because that's what the client thinks. That's oh, okay. That, that's why it's to. so much more expensive. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I'm saying, too. <laughs> when in doubt, if you want to up the price of your goods, if you're selling things, give it an exotic name. Yeah, put, it, put a geographic locale on it. Um, <laughs> other than that, I am heading out of town this weekend because I'm going to be speaking at the Woodturners Guild, uh, Shenandoah Woodturners Guild down mm-hmm. in the Shenandoah mountains. Cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Norm Reed and Jeff Fleischer, they are the two owners of Shenandoah Toolworks. The guys that make those really cool carvers mallets. They make uh, bird cage alls. Now they were at woodworking in America last year. Oh yeah. Um, they'll be there again this year. In fact, I think both Mark and I, maybe even Matt, like threw them up in a video somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. They, I can't, I think Norm is the president of the guild and he invited me down. So I'm going to be doing a little deal on um, spring pole lathes down there in the mountains of virginia nice looking forward to that and um <clears throat> as long as no one from the guild is listening i can say that i just started working on my presentation this morning <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be just like wood talk prepared you know five minutes before sometimes winging it is the best way to go you overthink it and it just doesn't come out right well i figure it's, if it's i don't important. know if i don't know now i'm gonna be kind of screwed so yeah well the main thing is to have a very authoritative tone to your voice that <laughs> way even if you're completely wrong it at least sounds like you you, you know you're right yeah it's not what right. you say it's how you say it 80 exactly. percent how you look 10 percent what you say what's left 10 percent 10 percent 10 percent how you sound <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's a complex <laughs> equation. Matt, what's going on in your shop? <laughs> well, now that I'm completely confused on my math, it's a good thing I don't have to measure with those kind of uh, numbers out yeah. there. Uh, anyway, what I have going on is my wife has a client coming up, uh, a wedding this weekend, actually. And uh, the big thing is she wanted one of those, you know, those like signs where it's like, hey, you know, Las Vegas, 400 miles that way. Uh your hometown, 200 miles that way, though, just the weird kind of signposts made out of pallet wood. Well, she wanted like two of those because they have guests coming from all over the world. So they want to give a nice taste of apparently American folk art, I guess I could call it, because oh, okay. I used exactly what she said, grab pallets and write the city names on there. I have to tell you, the worst part about this was the getting the spelling correctly, because I was convinced that the names that she gave me were not the proper uh, way to uh, spell them. So while trying to paint them 
on the sign as legible as possible. I'm not known for my handwriting. I had iPhone in one hand looking up the city and paintbrush in the other. And then I started thinking, is Wikipedia really the place that I want to look for spelling? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm looking at so everything was, you read on the internet. Exactly. Him so, can say that. I almost was going to ask Siri if she could tell me, but she gets very uh, stern with me when I mispronounce the name of cities. And let's get serious. Uh, there's some of the cities in there that there's no way in the world the way I pronounced it would be even close or recognizable to the people that are coming from those cities. You know, the funny thing is I'm looking at the show notes going, making signs for a wedding. And I'm picturing like a sign that says, don't do it. <laughs> or like, you know, run away Turn or something. Now. Turn back. <laughs> this is your last chance. <laughs> well, Mother-in-law you know, sits here. Right? Doesn't folk art have to have some kind of misspelling in it? Isn't that like part of the backwards the, S and uh, yeah, or at least put an put an E on the end of everything. Right. There you go. That's that's E's. probably. Well, I, I still have one more to finish up, so maybe that's what I'll do. Is I have one more sign for each one of them because there's going to be two posts, so I have to put those on there, and maybe I will deliberately do that. Nice, yeah. good stuff. Need backwards E's definitely. There you go. Yeah, that. And well, actually, the, well, maybe I'll put the E at the end of it, and that will take care of the people coming from the UK. <laughs> Cool. All right, let's move into what's new. Got a couple of links and uh, videos to share with you guys. The first one was brought to my attention, I believe, like yesterday. Um, Steve Carmichael of the Carmichael Workshop, Woodshop, mm. I think he calls it Workshop, uh, has a video called Whack a Woodworker. Did you guys see this? Yes, yes. I did. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Um, it's part of the Whirly Gig Wars thing that uh, Lainey Shaughnessy is um, is promoting. And uh, it's really all, it, it's a great thing because it's promoting the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Uh, and, and basically you make a Whirly Gig and kind of let your imagi- imagination run wild on this stuff. Uh, well, Steve thought it would be cool to make a really complex, I mean, it seems fairly complex. It's multiple Whirly Gigs in one with this whack-a-mole style game where he put woodworkers faces on the blocks that just go up and down. And as they move up and down, you just got to whack them with the mallet. Um, the funny thing is the way it's gauged, it just looks like they're going really fast. Like, yes. every, like every rotation of the blades results in like two movements. So it just like the heads are just moving really quick. Um, but it's a really funny video. He, he put some work into it and uh, got a real kick out of it. And actually it looks like a fun toy, like something you make for a kid, take it outside on a windy day and just let them smack a bunch of woodworkers in the head. Forget that. And, I put a fan right to, in front of it. Yeah. We have to add that my two co-hosts were both featured as whacked woodworkers. Yes, we did have some honored uh, featured positions there. Uh, Matt. And I, I found it interesting as he was introducing the woodworkers, when he came to the Wood Whisperer, there was a <laughs> puff of wind. There was like wind. a little, like the elements colluded to say, you know, the Wood Whisperer. Well, I told him, I said, it's like the universe was trying to tell him something uh, by including me there. But yeah, he's like the Wood Whisperer. <laughs> it was pretty good. It was a symbolic Air Force jet flying. Ah, that's what it was. Sympathetic Air Force jet noise. There you um, go. So yeah, good stuff. I'll, I'll have the link in there and it's a nice little YouTube video to check out. Fun little project. Definitely. Well, I have one here that I, I just threw in the show notes today. Uh, my friends over at CW Woodshop, which is located around Champaign, Illinois, uh, which is not to be confused with the same location in France. I don't know if they actually make sparkling wine. That would be kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but anyways, they have got a, uh, a neat little thing that they're doing right now. It's a tool sale swap. And I'm going to try and bring this up because I totally forgot to open the, the window before we started recording. But essentially, they're working with... Um, the folks over at, oh gosh, Champaign it, County Habitat for Humanity and the Preservation and Conservation Association. That's the Way one. Prepared, Thank you. Matt. Thank Way you for covering for me. Well, getting whacked in the head that many times, it does something to you. <laughs> He's cross-eyed right now. So, yeah. so anyways, this is coming up. Uh, uh, it's going to be Saturday, August 2nd. So if you are listening to this as this is first coming out, it's actually this weekend coming up uh, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, definitely check it out. It helps with a, a really great cause. And I don't know if you guys know this. I, I don't think I've ever talked about them before, but the guys over at CW Woodshop, they, uh, which is Woodshop Supply, they not only have a retail store, but they've got a pretty cool school going on there, too. So definitely something to check out. Very cool. Is it CW Woodshop or CU Woodshop? Why did I keep saying CW, don't I? You do. Oh, it's CU. Can we redo that part? <laughs> well, hold on. Let me press stop. <laughs> now, I just wasn't sure because the way they spell it in, in some of their links is with three capital letters, C-U-W, Woodshop. You know, because right. they're making it, Woodshop capitalized. So I, it looks a little confusing, but I think it's CU Woodshop. It is. It's CU Woodshop. I don't know what the C stands for other than I'll see you at the Woodshop. I'll see you at the tool swap and sale. That's right. 
nice. just keep thinking it's my alma mater because I went to see you. So maybe it's the wood shop. Could be. It's Ironically, always possible. University of Colorado is always listed as CU. I never understood that. <laughs> anyway, um, this came first to my attention through George Walker's blog, the Design Matters blog. And it is a YouTube video called Silent Voices. And it's kind of one of those documentary Vimeo style, very high quality production. Mm-hmm. And it's about a letter carver, a wood carver. And I, I found it interesting because it is really focused on the design element, which, is, of course, is why George Walker was into it. But what struck me is I first started thinking, well, it's a it's a letter carver and the sheer attention to detail he puts into actually designing, I guess, what in the 21st century we would call what font he chose. <laughs> right. But he actually I mean, he doesn't he doesn't choose any fonts. That's that's Bush League for this guy. He actually um, has designed, uh, you know, just like we would design the shape and the line of a piece of furniture. He does the same thing with the letters that he puts into the the pieces that he carves. And it was really kind of cool how something that seems rather kind of ordinary, rather mundane, when you get that close into it and the detail and the attention you put towards designing just the shape of that S and how it curves into the, the R next to it, it was a really neat perspective on on design and that attention to detail that I really enjoyed. And he talks about how he moved um, into Wales, out in the country in Wales. And he this is a really cool quote that says, everyone deserves the chance to be under-influenced. I just thought that was really kind of cool. He's like, basically, we're out in the middle of nowhere and I am allowed to create without being um, he said something like, without being caught up in the whole lettering scene in London. Hmm. Didn't know there was a lettering scene. It's a very scene, hot but, scene, by the way. But the, the second half of this gets a little bit slow, but the first half is definitely, it's only 15 minutes long. So the first half is is the design elements and, and the thought of putting that attention to detail, even the smallest things in your pieces. It's something uh, definitely worth checking out. And yeah, I'd like cool to tell you about the, fir- the one minute mark uh, and none makes an appearance. So it's got to yes. be a, a crazy. Well, you know, it's good. There, there is know. a none with a slight lisp. So that's, it's that's fantastic. Awesome. And uh, the quality on that video is so good. It's just really just good woodworking eye candy too. I mean, yes. even it's like you said, it's, it's as good as these uh, Vimeo videos that we see all the time, but it's not trying so hard to be cool. It's right. just right. such high quality and showing really good stuff without being like overly edited. Uh, which some and, of those and his his work is awesome. I mean, you, yeah. when, if you watch it, you can see what I'm kind of fumbling to say, how the design put into the shape of the letters. I mean, there's this really cool piece of wood that's like, it looks like driftwood that has got a big crack up the middle and he's like carving around it and how he's laid out the letters around it. It's just, I mean, it's, it's artwork. It's very it cool. Well, we're checking out. Yeah, good stuff. All right, let's move into the poll of the week from our good buddy, Tom Iovino. And uh, we don't have a new one for you this week, but we do have last week's results. Uh, this was a hot topic. It was, what do you think about radial arm saws? This always gets woodworkers up in arms and uh, yeah. had over 2,000. arms. That's true, depending on who's using it. Uh, we had over 2,000, 2,100 votes on this one. So a lot of people had an opinion. And uh, let's see, here's the results. 37% said it's a luxury for some data and cross-cutting operations. Uh, so kind of in favor of it, right? Um, you had 23% that say it's a waste of time, that a table saw does much nicer work. Then you've got uh, only 18% saying that it's essential, often overlooked as a multitask uh, shop tool. Then you have smaller amounts here. We've got 12% say that it's so dangerous I wouldn't let my worst enemy use one. And then 10% say that it's a royal pain in the rear to keep uh, keep tuned up properly. So if you add up the positive and the negative, it's about, I mean, it's roughly in the middle. You know, half the people have something favorable to say and the other half uh, not so favorable. But ultimately, you read through the comments, quite a bit of comments on that one as well. Um, Folks just kind of, like there's a few people who really love them who are well-read on the topic of radial arm soles. They know how to tune it up and really, you know, find it as a useful tool in in the shop. But the vast majority of the people either had really bad experiences with them or have heard about bad experiences and are just kind of passing on that opinion <laughs> that they got from <laughs> someone else. Um, Cause I know I haven't really used one a lot myself, but I've also been guilty of passing on an opinion that was, you know, gained from others experience that those are generally difficult to use, difficult to keep tuned up and also quite dangerous. 
So, you know, but hey, like any other tool in the shop, I mean, they're all dangerous if you don't know how to use them properly. But it, it just, just from the, the results of the pull, it sounds like the, the radial arm saw is like the wedge tool. It's the one that's going to divide us right down the middle. <laughs> yeah. If we do it just right. And, you know, when it, when it comes to opinions, I always think I love everybody else's opinion because then when I get that funny look like, is that really what you're thinking? I'm like, no, that guy's just a moron. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's one thing is definitely clear. I mean, just look at the market of available tools. The radial arm saw has certainly fallen out of favor. Like, regardless of what you think about it, people really aren't buying them um, like they used to. So They are all are over people, Craigslist. Are people still making them? I'm sure someone makes them. I know Craftsman probably yep. has a, a current and I'm model. wondering if it's all like in the industrial size. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, wow, I can't think of a... Of course, I haven't looked either, so never mind. Well, go look go. and let us know. Yeah, okay. the, the last time I went to Craigslist, just curious, when I was going to sell a tool, so this was about a year ago, I swear there was like a half dozen or more just within a 25-mile uh, radius of my house. So I'm mm. curious to know how many others are out there. Now, does that mean they're working? Eh, not necessarily. Does it mean they're covered by blood? There's a good chance. <laughs> what is this I just know state? that every scene shop and every theater I've ever worked in, there's been a radio alarm saw. So I, and it must be really good at making sets. <laughs> I don't know. My, uh, or they drag it out for the horror plays. My stepdad, in, in the house I grew up in Jersey, my stepdad got uh, a radial arm saw. It was his only sort of woodworking kind of tool that he had. He had a router that barely worked, but uh, it was the radial arm saw. And that was, I guess, for him, when he talked to people, when you wanted to start cutting pieces of plywood and small pieces of wood, this is the tool you got. So to me, that, rather than a table saw growing up, I just thought that was your, like, oh, that's the real wood cutting tool. And it was You've a radial arm saw. Exactly. I wonder how much like a sliding miter saw almost has kind of taken position of the of the radial arm saw, at least when it comes to cross cutting and maybe angled cuts. Because if you think about it, a sliding cross uh, miter saw kind of does something very similar. It probably doesn't have the same reach, and obviously you can't throw a dado blade on it. But well, I think that's probably more. yeah. I think that in combination with the table saw is the reason why this tool has been phased out for the most part. Um, you know, just between those two together, you don't really necessarily need one. Yeah, you know, I had, to, I had to school my dad a little bit on uh, the difference between a miter saw and a radial arm saw because I gave him my old uh, miter saw when I got my new one. And then I got a call like a day or so later. He goes, hey, I can do like ripping cuts and all sorts of things with this, right? And then I came over and I said, well, I'm going to talk to you about this real quick. Loaded up my car and he's never seen it since. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice. All right, well, as like the perfect segue from radial arm saws, let's move into kickback. Oh, ah, nice. You like that? That was pretty good. Well planned. <laughs> right into the face. Yes. Uh, all right. The first one here is from Jeremy. He says, on a topic of tighter slash looser tolerances, that seems to be uh, keep coming up on the show. It's not our fault. People keep asking. Uh, okay. The video the video is a few years old, but it was enlightening to me. And it's a Bridge City Toolworks blog post about how close is close enough. It shows well that whether you machine to a repeatable dimension or trim components to fit, well-cut joinery is cut to the same tolerances. The benefits of working with tightly controlled measurements comes mostly from ease of assembly and or interchangeable components, which may not be required for your method of work. He says it is for uh, for my engineering job, but my personal work, um, which are production runs of one. So it's actually a really good video, nice little write-up, and it shows you they, they sort of do these like blocky half laps and show you the difference that the joint makes if it's cut with maybe one, uh, I think they got down to like, I don't know, five, four, three, and two thousandths slop. Uh, and then finally getting to the point where there's no slop and it's a nice tight fit. So it's showing you that the difference between a tight joint uh, or a well-fitting joint and a sloppy one is actually much less than you really think. Uh, and it's a great demonstration of something like that. Sweet. Yeah. You know, is anybody else thinking that as you were beginning that when he says on the topic of tighter and looser, I was expecting morals to be the next word. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, going on to let us know how much uh, how much we lack morals in our show. Exactly. Great. <laughs> you immoral people. All right. Well, hey, we have another kickback and this came from Cody and he says in your most recent episode, a caller asked about a knockdown spray booth. If you go to a thrift store, they often have old camping tents. The larger ones are perfect for keeping overspray under control and obviously meant to be very compact when taken down. Just put a fan in the door and zip it up around it. Last time I looked at my local thrift store, there were three large old tents between $10 to $20. Make sure they come with most of the poles, though, and you can definitely make your own out of wood if it's missing one or two, but the fiberglass ones are far lighter and more compact. I'm thinking that we should also mention that you probably should have some sort of respirator while you're inside that tent, maybe some sort of <laughs> oxygen source. Yeah, you know, and you may even want to cross-ventilate 
You know, so if you've got the door on one end, maybe you're spraying out the door. There you go. You know, a lot of times they do have little windows and stuff in tents. So make sure you've got some um, something open on the other end. So you're bringing in clean air from one side and, and blowing out the, the nasty stuff on the other end. Right. I think but, that's a really cool tip. I never thought about it. It's that. a neat idea, what, right? <clears throat> what I wonder you, is if you spray enough inside, can you eventually just take the poles out and it's <laughs> it just holds its shape? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you it would. Well, you know what? If it does, then it's you're not getting good results. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Right. Like you know, this reminds me uh, when I first got the Erlex that I have never used yet. Uh, there was a like one of those collapsible uh, greenhouses that you can get at like the local home center. Uh, and there's one that's just big enough and it's it's still about $100 to get it. And I kept thinking that would make a really good spray booth. I could put a fan in there much like Cody's describing here. And because it's see-through, when I pass out from those fumes, people would know where I am. <laughs> you know, He's the more a nap in the shed again, Mom. See, the more I so think lazy. about it, that sounds, it's starting to sound scary to me. Like unless you really have a really powerful fan with with the proper which and that's with quotes around it because I don't know exactly what would be the proper amount of um, you know cubic feet per minute you've got to have enough evacuation of those fumes otherwise you're that's a recipe for disaster you're sitting in a gas chamber yes do you know what I mean was just thinking it, with, with my luck and the, the only time I could ever really use it would be in the warm months so it'd probably be around the 4th of July and not necessarily my kids anymore but I know the neighbor kids would probably be running around with sparklers and like hey Mr. Vanderlust <laughs> boom catch <laughs> yeah I don't know well do your homework on something like that it's it's it seems like a neat idea with some potential uh, but of course putting yourself in a confined space without the proper ventilation could be very very bad Yes. All right. Let's go into our voicemail. We actually have one that I broke up into two separate parts because it's actually two questions. And it's from uh, a a dude named Lucas who is just getting out. No, he's just going to college. And uh, first question is about rust and his tools. Uh, Hi, this is Lucas from Massachusetts. I'm an 18-year-old woodworker. Love the show. And um, I wanted to call because I'm heading off to college this year. And I have a number of tools, you know, a lot of hand tools. I built the anarchist tool chest. I have some really nice tools that I've worked uh, my butt off during the summers to get. And I wanted to know what you guys thought about storing the tools, just if there's any advice on keeping rust off them. And I'm just worried about leaving them without getting any use. You know, first things first, how cool is it just to think of a young kid, just, you know, 18 years old off to college that actually thought it was cool and worthwhile to spend his time and money doing woodworking and getting decent tools. And that was just like his thing. I don't know. I wasn't interested in any of that stuff when I was 18 years old. So to me, I think that's very, very cool to hear that. Yes. I, I, I totally, the 42 year old in me is saying that's really friggin' awesome. Yeah. Totally. All right. So he's worried about rust and we know you leave your tools sitting around unused. Things can accumulate. You can certainly, especially if it's just sitting in a box and humidity goes up, you can have an issue. Um, so he, my first thought, and I'll, I'm curious if you guys have any other ideas, of course, you're going to prep the tools before putting them in storage with you know, some sort of an oil treatment to kind of just give them some uh, little extra protection. But if he's got a tool chest that's fairly well sealed, I don't see any reason why he can't pick up a big old bag of the uh, silica gel desiccants. And I looked on Amazon. There's one for 15 bucks. It's a one pound bag that you could just drop into his anarchist tool chest, uh, close the lid, and maybe even do something to kind of seal it a little bit better around the outside. I don't know if that helps or hinders the situation, but ultimately put a desiccant in there. And I don't know how long it's going to last, but it certainly would be better than doing nothing at all. Um, But I think that would be a good approach just to discourage moisture accumulation in there. I agree. In fact, that's what we do at the Stepping Stone Museum. Huh. Again, this is a uh, an open air shop <clears throat> that is exposed to heat and humidity all summer and cold and everything all winter long. And we have three tool chests, you know, anarchists. They, we'd call them anarchist tool chests now, but, you know, 18th century tool chests. It's just and a tool chest. <laughs> we actually have, yeah, it's a tool chest. <laughs> um, we put a block of camphor inside of it. And it's really kind of cool because when you open the lid, you get this, you know, your sinuses clear out and everything like that. But <laughs> all that happens is the camphor, I don't know what you call it, it, it evaporates. I mean, it's a volatile substance and it settles on the tools and it coats the tools. And um, it's basically a rust preventative. You can go so far as uh, buy uh, emitters, anti-corrosion emitters. And Lee Valley sells some that are actually designed to kind of, you remember those stick up things, the odor 
preventer mm-hmm. things or stick up, put it in the closet. It's the same type of thing. You stick it to the wall of the cabinet and uh, they are what? 10 bucks on Lee Valley, specifically designed to go in your tool chest or your cabinet or whatever. And um, they do the same thing. They emit uh, a rust preventative and it essentially collects and settles on your tools very much like waxing them. Oh, so I think that goes a little bit further than desiccant. Um, it's sure, actually sure. Uh, desiccant is, you know, pulling the, the moisture out. This is actually emitting and coating your tools. Well, and it sounds like, it, I mean, he's going to school and the next question leads to him coming back around Christmas time when he'll be using the tools again. So we're only talking about a few months that uh, he's going to be inactive. So unless he's in, he's in the Northeast, so there's going to definitely be some humidity there. I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, Florida summer humidity or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but still, I think I would imagine just the desiccant might be enough if the, the, the box is, you know, got a decent seal on it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Matt, would you do anything differently than that? I really want to say uh, that I've got this great idea, but no, uh, what you guys just said, yes. Nice. Okay, cool. Now, the second part of his question leads to the break that he's going to have when he comes back for a Christmas vacation, and he wants to build a workbench because he's got some benchcrafted hardware, um, but I'll let him uh, give you the details on that. I'm hoping that I'll be able to get it done during the one month that I have for Christmas break, and I just wanted to know how realistic you guys thought this was. What I have for tools, I have, you know, a table saw, but it's a contractor, so it's not like a big uh, cabinet saw. And I don't have a thickness planer or a joiner. And I'm getting the Horizon product bench package. Sorry, Shannon. Um, and it's, I don't think it's milled lumber, so I'm going to have to do a lot of milling by hand. And I just wanted to get an idea of what you guys thought about that and if you had any advice on how I could speed that up. All right, so he wants to build basically a Rubo-style workbench. He's got a kit for the wood, but it's all rough-milled stock, so it still needs to be milled down. So, Matt, you don't have a planer, you don't have a jointer, and I you want to build... No, you don't. Pretend. Oh. You don't. Okay. Oh, gotcha. You definitely don't have a saw stop. Uh, what? <laughs> Who's been in my shop? <laughs> what? Um, so you're sort of limited in that sense. You've got a decent table saw, but you know contractor-style saw, and you can't mill this stuff down with power tools, at least, in your shop, and you want to build this workbench within a month's time. Um, clearly, it sounds like he's got a decent complement of hand tools, so that's always an option as well. One month. Can you do it? Not the entire bench. I'm going to say... Unless, of course, since you're home from college, you're not going to be. Maybe you're not working. This maybe is this is like this is 18 year old Matt we're talking about here. Oh, 18 year old Matt. He's barely getting up around three in the afternoon. <laughs> Two hour work days. I don't think I'm going to make it. Yeah, I'm like I don't know if I could do this because I've got to head out and do something else in the evening. Uh, unfortunately, I I keep thinking in my head, even if I had some of those other tools, I still don't even know if I would be able to accurately get the the bench top itself all set up especially with the bench crafted hardware i mean i haven't used it yet but i know you guys are familiar with it you know there's a lot of details going in there but first you have to have at least the especially if say you have the the tail vice uh you've got to have that that bench top all set to go and Mm -hmm. then you're going to be spending probably easily a day or two on just that piece of hardware by itself so Unless you really have no other plans, you're not going to be visiting family over the holidays. And I have a feeling with you going away for college, I don't know uh, how you are with your family. My family, I avoid them like the plague, but they still always want to come around and visit when I was home for college. So I'd say if you get halfway through it, you're doing pretty good. (laughs) I'm just picturing Christmas morning. Lucas! Get out of the garage. It's Christmas. That's exactly what I was Hold on. I'm, I'm installing my leg vice. I just wish he would go out to parties rather than <laughs> hanging out and doing his, his bench. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say that. Do you have a significant other, Lucas? Because that may be a problem for you, getting this yes, bench done. Yes, you never know. That first semester, you may meet a dream girl and you're like, bench? Bench what? Yeah, if, if you're, but if you're single, you, you got to, I think you have a fighting chance. Um, so, Shannon, what, what do you think in terms of, um, I mean, because he's got a couple options here. He, he could go mm-hmm. somewhere else, maybe find someone else who has uh, a planer and a jointer. Because really, isn't that the thing that's going to slow him down the most is right. milling all those boards for that top? Well, first of all, when did contractors' table saws become not good enough? I thought about that, too. <laughs> I never had a cabinet saw, and I built my bench out of ash. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, eight-quarter ash, you just go a little bit slower, you know, so that yep. you don't have to push it through at breakneck speed. But, I mean, I had a one-and-a-half horse contractor saw, and it did fine. Well, thin, thin so, curve, uh, thin curve blade, ripping yeah. configuration, yep. you'll be fine. 
I, I just think it, I think our perception has gotten skewed on table saws that, you know, sure, everybody wants a cabinet saw, but, you know, there is not a thing wrong with a contractor saw. So yeah. don't belittle your tools, Lucas. They, they you will know, bite I just back. want to point out here, this is the hand tool guy that's getting upset yeah, about somebody right, right. saying something bad about a power tool. <laughs> right. Well, here's, there's a couple of things. First of all, um, don't apologize. <laughs> I work for a wholesale lumber company. I don't want your business. Oh, oh, oh. Ouch. Um, ouch. Second of all, the guys at Horizon are very cool. Um, think about asking them if they will S4S it for you. Um, they will They will certainly charge you a little bit extra, but you might be surprised. It may not be that more. It's worth a phone call to find out if they will at least S4S it. Yeah. Um, you know, the more specific and the more precise you ask them to be, the more expensive it's going to be. But if they could just skip plane it, and frankly, when it comes to gluing up the top, when you're laminating those faces together, it doesn't have to be perfect. That's what clamps are for. <laughs> you know, um, if there's a little bit of skip in one side, you could very quickly clean that up with a hand plane if most of the work has already been done at the mill. Um, that would be the first thing I would suggest. I know that um, if when people come to us for projects like that, um, you know, it's just a matter of putting it into the mill schedule and running it through and you end up getting charged uh, you know, a fee per linear foot that they run through. So it, that might be worthwhile. And they're, a, um, a smaller operation than, than ours. So I don't think it would be too difficult for that to fit into a mill schedule. Second of all, check out local parks and rec type wood shops. If, if the, that would be my first thing to do would get horizon to mill it for you because then it's just going to save you a bunch of time. Um, local parks and rec usually operate wood shops. There are places like, uh, I know one of the woodcrafts local to me has a woodworkers club. You can pay a fee and get in and have use to their planers and all that fun stuff. There may be a cabinet shop that would do something for you. Even a local woodworking association or guild, um, right. yeah. you know, have a lot of friendly people there with joiner and planers that would be happy to help you out. Yeah. In fact, then, you know, you make a friend at the same time. There you go. So, you know, ultimately, when it, if you were to do it entirely by hand, um, you know, certainly I'm a proponent of that. But let's be honest, I didn't build my bench that way. So it would be really hypocritical. It's a lot of to, edges and faces just yeah, for that yes. top alone. I mean, if you wanted to take that approach on the base and all the little details, OK, right. that, that's a little more understandable. But that's just a lot of work. I mean, not it that you really can't do is. it, but well, it's a you lot know, of work. In, unless you just really want to teach yourself how to mill by hand, that's a great practice exercise. And you will learn how to mill by hand by the time you're done with it. But <laughs> man, you'll learn how to mill by hand about a quarter of the way through it, too. Yeah. And then yeah. you're like, okay, this is just, this is just rough. That's rough. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it's possible, but no, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. If you dedicated yourself, we'll, we'll just say eight hours a day for an entire month. Certainly. But I just don't think that's, I just don't think it's possible for the reasons Matt was just saying, you know, there's, there's family, there's holidays, there's, you know, whether it's catching up with friends from high school, whether it's going out at night. I mean, also, just think back when you were 18 years old and you're about to go into college, you had this, you had perception A of the world. And then after the first semester of college, there was perception A prime or perception B that was changed dramatically from that first semester in college. And you may just, you know, have different priorities um, by the end of that first semester in college and to try to, you know, force yourself to do that just may not be realistic. Well, here's the other thing, depending on your major, you may not have as much spare time during that break as you think you do (laughs) because you may be preparing for something else and have some reading to do. So, um, Boy, we're being a little bit negative on this. Too. <laughs> but college Back was in my the day, most fun time I've ever had. So I'll give yeah. you that yes. part. You yeah, know? but I am, a- I am really jealous of that. Actually, Lucas, I am. I there's a part of me that would love to go back to college as a young man and just. Never mind. Anyways, continue with your, with your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, ultimately, I would say, you know, anything is possible. You put enough time and effort into it. You've got some, you know, uh, there's some alternative ways that you can go to speed things up a little bit and getting a hold of it. I mean, he did specifically ask, what can we do to speed it up? Well, getting those boards pre-planed. Uh, if you do get them to do that, if Horizon does that for you, get that top glued up ASAP. Um, because you don't want those pieces sitting around. So once that slab is together, uh, you really have a lot less work to do because your final thing to do with the bench is to flatten the top anyway. So if it's a little out, if there's a little twist, it's all stuff you can deal with. And then you could just focus on that base. I think you'll have a much easier time with it. And just remember what has to be flat and square. So if you're focusing on the legs, those outer two faces, they don't even have to be planed. 
Um, I mean, you want it to just for it to look nice. But if you think of it that way, don't spend a lot of time flattening and squaring up faces that are completely irrelevant to the construction. Yeah. Think about where the mortise and tenons for your stretchers are and make sure those are flat and square. And don't worry about the rest of it. You'll save a lot of time when it comes to hand milling. And on top of it, you want to have something to do when you come home for spring break, too. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. Uh, never build furniture. You just build a bench for five years. Yeah, that's it's <sighs> pretty much like every project I have going on right now. So what do you think? You're better than me, Lucas? Is it's that the, what it is? It's the Vanderlist <laughs> method is what we're going to call that. Uh, all right. Let's move into our email. I got the first one here from Scuba Steve. I believe he left us a review and we were making jokes about there being no place to scuba dive in Arizona. Uh, but yeah, he said there actually is a place. It's not where you go for like recreational diving. You just go there for training to get your certification. <laughs> nice. Oh, for some reason I kept thinking of scuba Steve and I keep thinking of uh, big daddy and uh, yeah. Adam Sandler. Oh, right. All right. He says, uh, this weekend I was at my favorite lumber mill and they had a beautiful gum cherry that I believe will make a great top cherry legs and skirt for the rest of the table. No drawers. Uh, and those last two sentences probably sound far worse spoken than typed. I am interested in your opinions on how best to finish the top to draw attention to the intricacies of the grain in the gum cherry and frankly to do the piece and the species justice. I don't think I want to stain it, but if a, if it were just a little bit to make the contrasting grain pop, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, since it'll be a table with uh, in a high traffic area and I have four, yes, four kids, I'd like it to uh, have a relatively hardy top coat. Do I go with shellac, varnish? What say you find fellows three? All right. Well, this to me, and I, I probably anyone who's listened to the show long enough probably already knows my answer to this, but I think it's worth reiterating because uh, there there is a finish out there that I think is great. If you can get it, California, you might have a little bit of a problem, um, but it basically is uh, wiping varnish. And let's let's go as simple as we can. Just go to Home Depot or Lowe's and pick up Minwax Wipe On Poly. It's already pre-diluted to the wiping formula, and it's basically a thinned out polyurethane. And really, when it comes down to easily accessible finishes that don't need to be sprayed and don't have this like complicated two-part chemistry, a polyurethane is about as strong and durable as we are going to get and also need for interior furniture. So if the great thing about this wiping formula, and my favorite thing about it, is that you can basically increase the number of coats, get a thicker build, and have more protection. So depending on what you want, where it's going to go, the look you want, and the durability you want, a wiping oil-based varnish is going to be what I think is one of the best finishes out there. Because on top of the protection and the ease of application, you do get great enhancement of grain. I just posted a picture on Facebook a couple days ago of a jewelry box that I built back in like 2005 or something like that and everyone's like oh my gosh what's what kind of finish is that what you know how'd you pop the grain on that maple it was armor seal like nothing more nothing less just armor seal so oil-based finishes alone do wonders for wood grain and you don't really need to overcomplicate it with dyes if the wood if the wood is good it is going to just look better uh, with an oil-based finish applied to it so that would be my recommendation steve so what you're saying is a simple varnish finish I, I would recommend a simple varnish finish and the DVD by that very name, which is available at TWWstore.com. Thank you, Shannon, for that plug. Which, which we'll be reviewing on the next episode of <laughs> let's, let's not. It's a little rough. It's, uh, you know, it's the <laughs> earlier days. even more of a reason to review it on like the next episode of Wood Talk. Reading from like my ghetto prompter that I made out of a laptop and a ladder. Um, I, that just re very painful for me to watch, but it, is that the, the one that you gave me the plans for? Because I still use that. <laughs> yeah. The information is good. It's just a little rough for me to, to, to sit through. You know, the, the thing that he needs to remember as well is, is that, that gum, those gum pockets, that's a less dense, uh, kind of open porous area. So it's going to darken up when you put a finish on it, no matter what finish you use. So it's already going to pop all on its own. So yeah. it doesn't really matter what finish he puts on it. He's going to maintain that, that look. Yeah. He sent us a picture of it and it's got all those fun little gum lines between the early and late growth. It's pretty. Yeah. And if you can just make some test boards. I mean, a lot of folks are wondering what, what to use, what gets the look and the thing, there's just so much subjective parts to this where like what you think looks good, like what falls under the category of good is very different for you than it, than it is for me. So sometimes the best thing you could do is just, you know, the back of the board, the, the underside of the top, make a few test areas, see what you like. Look at water-based finish. Some people like that muted sort of look that you get from it. Other people think it looks dead and they, they prefer lacquers and oils for that reason. So um, do some experimentation and see what you like. All right. Uh, Shannon, you're up. All right. This comes to us from Alex. 
he says, whenever I use uh, a hand to push on my chisel, my other hand instinctively tries to guide the blade to accurately guide the stroke. While I guide the stroke, I often cut my fingers on the corners, not the cutting edge. I've never sharpened the corners, obviously, and I'm wondering if I should try to put a mini roundover on the corner to protect my fingers. Should I change the way I'm using my chisels? If so, how should I guide the chisels? Well, starting from the the end of this, um, no, you shouldn't change the way you use your chisels because the more you use them, the more you pair with them, you're going to find kind of you need to, to choke up on it and get that other hand to guide it. Whether you're chopping mortises, whether you're doing pairing, that that other hand is there to make sure that the the cutting edge goes in the right place. And this is pretty common. If you think about it, when you lap the back of a chisel, you're getting it really flat and you're creating kind of that perfect intersection from the sides of the chisels um, to the back. Well, what do we know about two angles perfectly intersecting? That's called sharp. So bevel edge chisels. Not the way Matt does it. No, no, I call it a corner. (laughs) I call it a nice round over. He calls Um, it a bull nose. Bevel edge chisels specifically, and some of the new ones like Lee Nielsen, um, the uh, the Veritas ones, they have that really really fine. There's that really really narrow flat on the side, and it's meant to make it easier to get in inside corners and things like that. Well, that ends up being a sharp edge, and the more you hold that, I've actually got a paper cut looking thing on one of my fingers right now from the same reason. Um, so yes, you. You can round them over. I wouldn't get carried away because that obviously is a nice advantage to have it, you know, to have that access point. But you can grab yourself, you know, some fine sandpaper. You could go as aggressive as a file, I suppose, and just knock that edge off. Mm. I like to stay at least a half an inch away from the cutting edge just because I know my ham-handed attempt, I'll end up rounding over my cutting edge because I slipped. Hey, um, uh, that's a trademark name. Uh, stay away <laughs> sorry. from it. Sorry. Um, but it's it's one of those things where all it takes is to cut your fingers a couple of times and you realize I got to do something here. So even grabbing, you know, 2000 grit um, sanding pad and just kind of rubbing it over the back will help knock that really sharp edge off. Um, as I said, I've got a cut on my finger right now. It's only because I was using a 3 16th inch chisel that I don't use very much and I hadn't gotten around to doing that. So I highly recommend just knocking that edge off just like you would do a project. I mean, you can cut your fingers on you know, a jointed corner of maple or cherry and you come back and just break the edge to prevent that. That's what you're doing with your chisel too. You know, I think I need to do this to my Lee Nielsen mortising chisels. Those are the ones that always bite me. Oh and, yeah. And they're, they're really long and I'm thinking, you know what, what do I really want that nice crisp corner? Maybe the, the last inch of it, you know, for, for the work I do, I'm usually not doing these all, you know, uh, from, from all by hand. So I'm usually straightening out or squaring off something that was cut at the router. So, um, really if the, the last inch is left alone, but everything else is knocked down a little bit, I'm probably going to end up with a lot less of those annoying, really like razor sharp paper cut things that, oh, yeah. that tend to drive me nuts. I, I might have to try that. Well, here's the other thing. Look at carving chisels, mm-hmm. carving gouges and things like that. They're all nice and soft and rounded over because that's, I mean, that's all you're doing. You're yeah, choked up real yeah. tight on that. And, um, two handed operation the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sweet. All right. Well, hey, we have one more question here, and this came in from – I'm going to pronounce this Aaron. Please forgive me if I, mis, if I mispronounce that. It's E-H-R-E-N. I'm sure you're going to recognize your question. I probably shouldn't have had to spell your name. That's stupid. <laughs> Good job. All right. Well, I've already set up this question to <laughs> fail already. But anyways, well, here we go. I have only recently gotten to find woodworking in the past year. Why are you contacting us? It's the wrong show. Uh, Being part of a generation that is absorbed within technology, I use my computer for a large portion of my design and construction work, whether it be modeling the design three-dimensionally in SketchUp, using a laser cutter to mark out my intricate pieces on a piece of larger stock, or CNC work. Wait, there's laser cutters? No. For cutting these things out? Not not for you. Is it a a fine laser? They're for other green laser? A red laser? (laughs) It's a friggin' laser. It's a friggin' laser. Those laser. are my favorites. I wonder if it has a shark attached to it. Anyways, uh, so, so we'll go on to the rest of the question. He says, I often feel that I'm possibly removing myself from my project too much by being fixed to the screen on my computer. What are your thoughts on designing electronically versus by hand on paper? Do you guys do it? What are the advantages and disadvantages you can think of? So this is definitely a topic that could be a whole entire show on its own. I don't think we've actually 
done an entire show, mm. particularly on this one when it comes to SketchUp versus uh, drawing on paper or anything like that. But I, I have to say that it's really easy nowadays for just about all of us to find some sort of device that's going to help speed up our work in the shop. And I have zero issues with it whatsoever. The The more work I can get done when I'm in the shop, the more I absolutely love it. But that doesn't mean every single project I have is one that's going to require uh, getting really deep, deep into this. So I just want to say right off the bat that uh, when it comes to any type of automated machinery and stuff like that in the shop, if you have it, it's available to you, I say go for it because there are so many advantages as far as I'm concerned about being able to really delve deeper into uh, a lot of the projects that we're working on because for me if I say had a CNC machine um, I would use this to maybe work up quite a bit of the body of the work and then I would be able to really zero in on the small details that I could do by hand and that's where I get the most enjoyment is definitely doing a lot of the detail work with it. Mm -hmm. Now the main question of course here is SketchUp versus say hand drawing and stuff like that. I, I really enjoy using either like a, back in the day when I had an AutoCAD system for my, my computer or if now I'm using SketchUp. I really enjoy using it because, it, it, again, it's three-dimensional, so it's bringing it to life for me. I can see it right in front of me. I can spin it around. I can look at it. I know ahead of time what I want to do. And more importantly, the big advantage is uh, somewhere down the road, it's far easier for me to interpret my own design versus looking at the chicken scratchings and going, wait, is that a leg? <laughs> is that an apron? What is that thing? And the same thing if I ever share these plans with people or ask somebody's advice, I can send this to them and they know exactly what I'm, I'm talking about. Now, I also want to point out that for many people who do sketches by hand that draw out their plans purely by hand, they're probably saying right now, you can do something very similar if you did full-size drawings. And uh, Phil Lowe is definitely somebody who uh, does a lot of full-size drawings. I know there are people that will do all of their drawings on, say, like large cardboard where they could, if necessary, actually hold those pieces up and get a feel for what the piece is going to look like, how it's going to go together. So, you know, kudos to them if they want to go that route. Myself, I like to be able to sit down, watch something like, I don't know, Big Bang Theory and uh, work on my drawing simultaneously. So for me, that's probably like one of the biggest advantages is one, being able to reinterpret what I drew to being able to spin it around and get all sorts of look, different looks at it. And if I get really detailed, break it apart. Uh, and three, uh, being able to share it without people contacting me and going, what is this? <laughs> I think this is something that is kind of in flux. You know, as technology becomes something that kids are getting into early, they're sort of natives of, of these type of technologies, they will be able to do a lot more with it than we are. I mean, there's there's things that I still need to go old school analog with. And, and one of those is full-size drawings. Um, mm -hmm. I, I really have trouble being very creative within something like SketchUp. But yeah. when I take a, a pencil to a you know large piece of cardboard or paper and draw something out, it my brain is wired to understand that a little bit better. Same right. thing for like my, my weekly calendar, my monthly calendar. I need to actually print it out. I just cannot sit there with Google Calendar and work out my time as efficiently as I can when it's printed out in front of me, which is really weird because I consider myself very deep into a lot of this sort of um, you know online technology and it's just you know shortcuts with digital solutions. So the thing is though, I think if we were brought up with this stuff, we might be able to think more creatively in these artificial spaces and mm -hmm. 3D spaces. So I think if, if you're comfortable doing that, if that's what, what works for you, keep going in that direction because honestly, the tool set that you're going to have in that digital world is probably far greater than I would ever have with my French curves, pencil, and paper. You right. Know? <laughs> so so if, if you can... I love my French curve. Yeah, so do I. But um, if you can effectively create within that environment and be inspired in that environment... Who cares what it is? I don't think it detracts from the craft at all. In fact, it may open doors that weren't open to other people because you now don't have as many limitations, physical limitations with what you're trying to do. Well, you don't, I it, often it, it, wonder that as well. Like, you know, I'm the same way, Mark, and I just wonder, is it because of my, my lack of skill in using the tool? Um, SketchUp for me is, is all nuts and bolts. It's yeah. figuring out proportions and then kind of throwing it together. And when it comes to... to you know, shaping and things like that, I would much rather put pencil to paper and I feel like I can get a more organic result. And if I use it on SketchUp, it ends up coming out 
looking mathematical. And well, not- do you guys ever do something like, and I, I ha- I've only done this on a couple of things. I definitely did this with, with Aiden's bed. I often will use something uh, like SketchUp. Well, I use SketchUp. I don't have anything else that I've, I was just thinking. I'm like, I don't use that old CAD system that I have anymore. Mm-hmm. I use SketchUp to give me the rough outline of what I'm working with. And then sometimes I'll go so far as to, much like you guys, I need to print something off and then I can sit there with paper and start kind of feathering the lines. Like, all right, now what if I, what if I shape it this way? Because I think if I tried to do that in the system, I'd, I'd get so frustrated that I would lose any of that design flavor. Well, I do you know, think, that, I do think some of that comes down to our lack of skill with, with the software. I know when, when I'm working sure. with Aaron on things, if uh, we need to work out a curve, Aaron's really good at bringing in very accurate curves to, to what I'm going to need to build in the shop. And I can look at what he's made and say, you know what, we might need to take that in a little bit. And I don't actually need to go back to paper and pencil because he was able to render that the way it needs to be done. And then I could judge it in that 3d environment. So that, that definitely is part of it is that we, we probably have, it's too much work to learn how to do it and then do it on a regular basis, I guess. Uh, I got to say the, the Bezier curve tool is pretty cool. In SketchUp, yeah, I mean, it allows you to to tweak a curve any number of ways. There's something very tactile about it for me. Um, Mary May brought this to my attention. She talks about this in her online carving school about how um, don't overlook like sketching out your carving first. And she's quite an artist. She she draws incredibly well, and she talks about how you can you kind of get a feel for the carving just by sketching it out first and a little bit of shading. I mean, she goes like makes artwork on a piece of paper and shades it in and you get a feel for the three dimensionality, three dimensionality, that's a word of the, of the carving before you actually put chisel to wood. And it helps her kind of understand and put together a game plan and how she's going to come up with it. And all I can say is her, her carvings look a lot more organic than anything I could ever come up with. They're absolutely beautiful. Um, and I, find that I find myself relating to that when I'm doing a curve here or there and being able to kind of, as Matt was saying, kind of feather it in and sketch it in to come up with what works really well. It allows me to not to sound hokey, but kind of connect with it a lot more. But again, I have to go back to, is that just my comfort level? You know, working with a Bezier tool and SketchUp could be the exact same thing if that's how you're wired. I think it's going to be interesting to watch as this sort of maker culture develops and builds up. And you've got these folks who um, it doesn't matter what the tool is. If it gets the job done and allows them to do it, regardless of their skill level, let's say if they know how to operate the CNC machine, doesn't mean that they know how to do it with comparable hand tools or comparable like traditional woodworking tools, but they can still make this amazing thing that gets them to their end goal, which is to make that thing. You know, they're right. not, they're not hung up on the sort of, and I've mentioned this in the, in the past about the sort of romantic notion that's behind some of the woodworking things that we do. Um, they're not really in it for that. They're in it for the creation of that end goal, that, that thing that they're trying to make. So what's interesting to me is how that's going to gel with the craft of woodworking, where the, the sort of the technology side, uh, with the end goal oriented mindset meeting with maybe some of those people will eventually say, you know what, this is really cool. I enjoyed doing this, but I'd like to, to get a little bit deeper into some of the hand techniques that might bring me to this point, but it's almost two different worlds at this point. You know what I mean? Maker culture and then woodworkers who are trying to learn the craft of woodworking. Right. But I want to see them meet in the middle at some point, you know, and, and what that's going to become. It's just, to me, it's very interesting to watch because I think when, when folks are, 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 you know, crying about how we're losing woodworkers, I don't think it's as bad as, as we think it is. I think we're just looking in the wrong place. And I think the make, maker culture is where a lot of young creative minds are doing amazing things. And some of that stuff is woodworking, but a lot of it is, you know, dealing with other stuff that we might not be interested in. Yeah. Uh, but it's very yeah, interesting we're, to watch. We're looking in the we're looking in the wrong direction. We're almost blind to what's actually there because we're so focused on, on our little niche or something or, or our, our perspective of what it would actually mean to be like a woodworker or something. Could be. Well, I mean, what do we talk about? Uh, probably ad nauseum over the years. Oh, should I bring in a CNC into my shop? Oh, <laughs> right. he, oh he has a CNC. No, he's not a real woodworker. <laughs> right. right. You know, like, you know it, it's funny thinking about this whole like, you know, uh, electronic uh, designing versus uh, maybe hand on paper. Somewhere in the future... 
and maybe I shouldn't put this out there because it would be a show, is the uh, design show. And we'll have one guy on the side that will be SketchUp, and the other guy will be old school drafting. And there'll be a third guy right in the middle that goes back and forth between the two of them. There you go. There'll be a fourth guy that just goes, computer, make me this. And, it, and the little thing like hums and buzzes and the little dust appears and suddenly there's a cup of Earl Grey tea. Well, and the guy that will have the SketchUp one, he'll, he'll, he'll have a show called The SketchUp Whisperer. And the other guy will have The Hand Drafting School. And the third guy will just be like, I sit in a basement. <laughs> uh, sounds like you a know, show I'd listen to. <laughs> the, the one caveat I would say to this designing virtually is do not forget about wood grain. Um, I have gotten caught several times where I've been building something in SketchUp and I put these pieces together and then I go down to the shop and I put the actual boards together and I suddenly realize I created a dovetail on a short grain situation and it's going to be just snap. <laughs> so, you know, wood is, is not, um, it's not isotropic. <laughs> it's going to expand differently in different directions, but it also has weaknesses across the grain that, you know, a composite may not have. Now, if all he's doing is working in plywood, then it may not be something he has to worry about. But it is, you are removing yourself from the actual material and SketchUp, although I suppose you could, you know, overlay, use the paintbrush and overlay a wood grain pattern to it so that you remember that the grain is there, but just don't lose sight of that part. Hey, I just want to I just want to point out that if you ever use the word isotropic again, we're going to isolate you. So <laughs> you're off the show. Those words. No more big words <laughs> about anisotropic. Would you prefer that? And then we're going to uh, isolate you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Good that one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's de- it's definitely that's a good point. And I think a lot of times that's the craft. That's yes. the experience of working with wood. Yeah, because I'll look at a SketchUp drawing and it just I don't I don't feel the need to put the wood grain on there because I know in my head what what's going to happen and that just comes from experience of building a cabinet and knowing where things are going to go, uh, generally speaking. So if you don't have that building background and then you do decide to use something like uh, full you know solid wood uh, to make a piece, I could see how you would very easily run into trouble <laughs> getting to a point where you got your grain going the wrong way. Good point, Shannon. Shut up. Sorry. What are you saying? like 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 shannon did um well yeah maybe i don't know we'll see uh all right let's move into well i guess that's about the end of the show right yeah our our support system if uh if you if you hear what we say here and you actually like it which by now is probably a very small percentage of people uh let's see what else can they do here? We've got recurring donations that you can do to help us out. That's at woodtalkshow.com. Left-hand column, couple of links there. We always appreciate that kind of support. As well as Wood Talk t-shirts, which are kind of selling really well, and we have to restock them, so we're kind of uh, limited on sizes at this point. But if you go to twwstore.com, you should be able to pick up whatever's left. Uh, but hopefully within a couple of weeks, I think by the second week of August, we should be restocked on all sizes of Wood Talk t-shirts. We have you know, I, I Double X, small, and Tommy Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to throw out there, there there's a, a third option that Mark isn't talking about because we haven't really come up with this price. But uh, if you find that the show is so disturbing, <laughs> there is a price that we will stop doing the show at. Sure. Contact us. We'll, we'll let you know uh, what that number is. Maybe we should start like an Indiegogo project or Kickstarter <laughs> to get us to stop doing the show. <laughs> there you go. Stop the madness and would talk today. Yeah, might be a much more successful venture. Uh, all right. You can also leave us a review in the iTunes store. If you like, just find our show there, click on ratings and reviews and give us that five-star rating like deep nights and survive style did. And he had this to say, he calls the, uh, the review, the fighting burps. <laughs> and uh, after I read this, I'm like, you know, he's right. Anyway, he says, Wood Talk is definitely my favorite woodworking podcast and in my top five overall. I've been able to work my way through all the existing episodes and I've started to listen to them all again. Always informative, usually funny, chortles and long shannony rants make it great. Mark, <laughs> why are you always fighting burps? Must be all the hot air. I kid. Seriously, though, Mr. S, you can take credit for giving me into woodworking. I randomly watched one of your videos on YouTube and immediately fell in love with the whole thing. Now I'm onto building furniture and cabinetry. Thank you for enlightening me to this wonderful lifestyle. Uh, here's the thing with the burps. We talk a lot on this show, and I, I usually have a beverage here. It's Most of the time, it's not carbonated, but it is water. And for some reason, when I drink water and talk, it just brings the burps up and... Uh, and I think I do, you know, for moving from one section to the next, I probably uh, talk maybe just a small percentage point more uh, than my two co-hosts. And I don't know, maybe I'm just I doubt that. especially burpy. Well, that's the Shannon does talk a lot. 
Um, well, I, I think also sometimes I notice when you're going to take a drink, so I always try to throw things in there that you're going to have to recover from. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. It's, I drink water and I talk, and then the burps just come out. So it is what it is, and my apologies. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> that actually wasn't a burp. Don't, don't force it. That, <laughs> that wasn't a burp, if you know what I'm saying. Poorly. All right. Uh, Matt, how about you give him the contact info, and we'll get out of here. All right, folks, do you have a comment, a question, or topic suggestion, or a way for Mark that will help overcome all those burps? You have several yeah. different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Lucas, that includes you. We want to hear how the first semester of your college life goes, and then let us know how far into that workbench that you get. <laughs> Email us at WoodTalkOnline at gmail.com, or you can leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And I don't know if I really need to remind you people of this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Do it. The three of us, we have our own individual sites. There's Mark over at thewoodwhisperer.com. There's Shannon over at renaissancewoodworker.com. And there's me over at mattsbasementworkshop.com. And hey, did you know that we also have yet another way to talk about Wood Talk, and it's woodtalkonline.com where there's this really neat forum and typically Mark and Shannon are over there scouting things out and then I just kind of come in like a bull at a china shop and just mess everything up. I'm pretty hands-off with that forum. I kind of just pay the bill, keep the server up, and uh, let everybody hangs out there and have fun with it. I don't really participate that much. <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of the forums that's going on right now. <laughs> one of the threads on there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a participate three weeks after a question. <laughs> Everyone else is basically with the answer, and I just come in and say what he said, what he said, and not what he said. <laughs> there you go. Well, I actually, just always do a, a constant search of get Matt off the show, and since nothing comes up, I don't know. As, as, as far as woodworking forums go, it is pretty good. We use some pretty nice forum software. It's easy to use and uh, very intuitive, uh, modern as far as forum software is concerned. And uh, check it out if you want to ask questions. It's a great place to go and just kind of like, I don't know, there's times I'll get a question where I'm like, I honestly don't have experience with this. The best place for you to go is a woodworking forum. Put that question out there. Uh, but we even have regional sections to the forum. So if you're looking for something very region specific, head over there and uh, leave a question. You'll probably get an answer there's quite a few people there. Right, and if you go quite often enough, everybody knows your name. That's right. Then we'll go on and throw a beer at you. Right. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye. See ya. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.